Blog Talk Radio. If I speak for your followers and I speak for your ex-followers and I speak for the curious outsiders looking in, and you remain silent in the shadows and don't let your balls drop enough to come out and say something, then I say, who do you speak for, Mr. Miscavige? Anything on earth that says, don't listen to your mom and dad, don't talk to your mom and dad, that's bad. I remember sitting there wishing I could just scream out loud and beg for help. But I knew if I did that, I would never see Mark again. This is the thing about real life. You can't experience the great thing without the bad thing. I felt like it would probably do better off if we didn't exist. And, um, you know, Pat came up with a plan on, on how to end it. He talks about seven-year-old child. Even if he's referring to actually an adult, so let's say we change that to an adult. Okay, the woman shudders because the man kisses her even passionately. The fact is that he shudders. You do a big apology to me and give me my kids back. I'm still shocked by the evil. I, 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 yes, even to this day. When I see a video of a former friend or family member, I'm like, this is pure evil at work. Hello, and welcome to Come Get Some Extra Scientology Edition. Today, a more positive episode, so uh, there's a lot I could talk about, but I'll keep it positive because I want this to be a fully positive show today. Um, I think I'm taking next week off. We'll see. Uh, but right now, uh, let's go ahead and jump right into this conversation with the uh, with the very, very uh, chippy, <laughs> uh, chipper, Elizabeth Gale. I think you'll like her. Here she is. Uh, we're doing something very different. I'm very excited to have this guest today because we're going to talk about some positive things. It's a happy podcast. Um, this individual is Elizabeth Gale. Thank you for coming on the show, Elizabeth. Hi, thanks for having me. All right. So I remember uh months after you appeared on Scientology in the Aftermath, I asked you to come on the podcast and you you declined. But it wasn't like, you know, I don't want to do your show. It was I don't want to talk about that negative stuff right now. I'm working on making my life better. And uh so after seeing some recent posting of yours, I'm real excited for you that you're in a better place today. And we thought it would be a good idea, if I'm not wrong, that we uh, talk about life after Scientology and how there is one and there's positivity we found. Yeah, definitely. Um, And specifically, there are some real positive things that can come directly from choosing to leave Scientology or speak about it. Right, so you had struggles, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I know um, <laughs> we talked previously to the, to the phone call about how uh, leading up to the Scientology in the aftermath, you were out for 10 years with a PTS label, uh, yeah. and uh, you were able to live okay that way, but you were under the whole don't speak out thing. Yeah. I wouldn't go so far as to say it was okay. It was, um, I was living with 
um, on our family land with my, not with my parents, but on the same property as my parents. And, you know, they're Scientologists. I was working uh, for my stepdad um, doing web design and he's a Scientologist. And, um, you know, a lot of his big clients are Narconon and other prominent Scientologists. So uh, it was very apparent that I would directly lose my ability to make money and have a home if I chose to speak out. So um, that really started to weigh on me after a number of years. Uh, it, you know, I, I had some anxiety. I had some depression. Um, so the struggle, the struggle was real. <laughs> yes, right. but I, I certainly wasn't happy being under the radar. Well, no, because you're, you're like a prisoner, kind of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was always watching what I was saying, being careful. Um, you know, and I was constantly told things like, if you ever speak out about Scientology, you know, you can't, I can't employ you anymore. Um, stuff like that. It just, uh, it's scary. It was, it was, it was scary and uncertain for me to make that leap. So I just didn't do it. Okay. So if I can ask what changed, uh, over 10 years time getting closer to this aftermath appearance, what changed to make you feel emboldened to speak out and what were some of the, you know, I think we talked a little bit about it already, but what were the major concerns if you did, you know, what was in your head at that moment? Um, the two things that really pushed me forward that I just couldn't keep quiet anymore, um, well, three things. One was I have I have a kid, you know, and he was uh, starting to be around eight years old, and um, at that time, and <clears throat> I was terrified that he he would get coerced somehow into believing Scientology was the only answer for mankind. And you know, he's a good kid; he wants to help people. And I saw that trap, and so that was one of my my first. Um, concerns because it wasn't just me anymore now it was you know my, wow. my kid and uh he's real smart um I have two now but at that time <clears throat> at eight I just had the one and um he's really really smart he reminds me of my brother a lot and I just really wanted to make sure that at the end of the day I could say I did everything I could to stop the pattern from repeating you could see it coming yeah yeah, you can see it coming a mile away. And I have several friends who have um, who stayed under the radar and raised their kids, and their grand the grandparents did end up getting the kids in, and um, in one case an aunt, and they joined the Sea Org, and um, I just never I just didn't want that can of worms to get opened at all. Um, the second thing is that my mother and I were really working to repair our relationship during that time. Um, I had a pretty crazy childhood and we were really trying to um just go go on you know and uh it became my essentially my stepdad was very unhappy with our uh, me and my boyfriend's uh we were doing, having medical marijuana plant for his dad um and my stepdad basically just gave an ultimatum to my mom that uh if we did anything like that, he wouldn't live on the property anymore and they would have to move. And, um, you know, my mom chose to do that, to go off with him and just basically 
bail on us. And it was just so reminiscent of my whole childhood and so reminiscent of everything that I was just like, really, really? I'm in my 30s and I'm still getting wounded by by this constant. So, um, and not to mention, I felt for her because uh, I had become a problem. You know, I had become PCS and she wanted to, she's OT8, my stepdad's OT5. You know, they wanted to be on their bridge. My stepdad had some heart issues. He straight up told me, I'm going to flag. If I don't go to flag, I'm going to die. Don't screw this up for me. Okay. And that really spoke to me. You know, I mean, I I just, just I, I was like, fine, go. Cut ties and just go do what you have to do. Um, you know, that expression, if you love something, set it free. Uh, so that's what I did. Those were the two sort of culminating factors where I was just like, I can't be this wounded eight-year-old child anymore, and I certainly can't my, let my child be that. So game time. <laughs> was this when you wrote the article for Mike Rinder's blog? Yeah, that was when I did that. Um, and I just kind of tried. The thing is, is I had been brought sort of inadvertently through different times of my life um, to to be used as a positive thing for Scientology. Um, when I was little, you know, it was how great you raise kids. When mm-hmm. I was when I graduated high school early, it was, you know, all due to study tech. Um, so I felt <laughs> like I was part, I know, I was part of the pro-Scientology narrative sort of um, I don't know by association, and so I right, felt obligated example. to like. Yeah, yeah. So I just felt obligated to to say my piece, you know, um, to just I don't know, be honest, I guess. And the other thing, um, I actually would have never done that to be totally honest. But uh, the property, my family property that I was on, went on the market, and I really tried to to. Um, keep that from happening and all this stuff uh, but it was a sale started coming through and so by the time I did the interview in last June the property was was essentially you know going it was it was inevitably gone so that also I, I literally had nothing left to lose other than my kids but that was the only way to keep them so okay so you're looking at you got two kids you yes, got this now I have property you essentially uh, spent a lot of your life on? Uh, off and on, but yeah, I, I lived there, yeah. And it's going to go away. So mm-hmm. you you really, you were already in a position that a lot of people find themselves in when they're, when they're declared before speaking out. Yes, yes. I mean, it was, it was this very weird psychological gray zone, and it was, you know, slowly people stopped talking to me, my family stopped talking to me, you know, the ranch was being sold, it was like these little little things. So when it finally came to, um, I was honestly very grateful for the opportunity to tell my story, especially on such a um, a big platform, sure. on a show that I, I, I had already watched season one, so I was really familiar with, you know, the format, and I felt like they did their best to make their guests look positive you know look credible and um so it all really just fell into place it was a really weird thing and uh the property sold august 15th i want to say of 2017 and that episode aired on at the end of that month so two weeks later so it was this really weird timing and i felt 
I don't know. I don't know how to explain it other than that's what I felt like I was really supposed to be doing. Just felt right. And I knew it would change my life. And doing that, speaking out, especially on, you know, such a large, to such a big audience, um, I knew it was going to be a big deal, but I really didn't know how much it was going to affect my future um, in positive ways, not just negative ways. Right. Well, I mean, they don't pay you, so you got no money from Annie, no money from Leah or Mike. You told your story, and you knew what you were, what you're in for. But correct. You didn't know where you're going tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, we we knew we were we had a month when they came. Um, after that, we you know we had a month to to find a place and to get out, and um, it was a it was a real challenge. Uh, I think a lot of people can understand, you know, it's one thing when you're facing like big um, changes in your life and you have to kind of figure out new goals, but it gets really hard to do that when you're grieving or you're sort of traumatized and you're, you know, my head was just sort of ringing for, for over a year. It was, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, it was really challenging. So it kind of came full circle that I was I was able to to tell my story and people and people listened. You know, there's something so human about just feeling heard that was very therapeutic. Yeah, I've always felt like, especially people who aren't directly affected by it, that it's kind of a thing that people hear in the background as noise and move on with their lives. And right. um, that's why it's good that this has been put on such a public forum. And now so many more people can be aware that were previously maybe a little bit willfully ignorant to it. And now people you know, have become concerned and they want to do things. Right. And, you know, I think that's such a testament to, like, the people who came before before me. You know, I mean, the Paulette Coopers and the, you know, Mike Rinder, the people who really were harassed. and You can't forget that. Were, no, and 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 I know I got off easy simply because of those people being able to already spotlight that behavior and creating a PR problem for the church, which really was a cushion. Um, so I did feel a sense of obligation in that regard too. Like, what are all these people working so hard for and risking their neck, and I'm just sitting here being a coward? And I don't mean to say other people under the radar are cowardly. But we all have that moment where we where we can say something or not say something, and we say, "Oh, I'll say it later. I'll say it later." But my time, my time just came. <laughs> do, do you feel like staying silent represents complicity to an extent, especially once you realize what what it is? I do. I really do. Um, and I and I I understand the whole. I mean, I understand as well as anybody could as to why people make that choice. I have several, you know, friends um, and associates now who are in that position. And I risk that very much because I understand when you've got traumas and fears and these real life circumstances, it, t- it can take years to really line everything up so that you can, you know, say what you want to say. But I know we'll all be happier when, when we're honest, when we're allowed to be honest with ourselves and each other and the truth. So of course, I, I wish that for anybody under the radar, for sure. I do think there's some people who are like Leah. If you remember Leah's story, she uh, stayed for a long time 
not because she felt like she had to. She was trying to, she thought she could fix it. Right. Right. You know, and there's a and lot of people know, who do that. Interesting. Yeah. Ahead, yeah. That's interesting too. And, and it, maybe if there's enough people that come together and are able to communicate, the problem is, is it's such a censored topic when you're in, in that bubble. I don't know. It's going to take some real coordination and people are going to have to be honest to each other. I don't think it's fixable. I think it's just, I'm just referring to the mindset. I really don't think it's fixable, but that's my opinion. Um, I, I agree. Um, I agree for sure, but I do think that it could be better than it is. Yeah. You know, I think, I think so. So I think it's noble for somebody who, Okay, here's the other thing is, is I try to be really understanding of the, the phases of thought. You know, I know how many times I changed my mind about different things, about different tenets that I learned or different um, spiritual beliefs. I changed my mind a million times on stuff as I was decompressing and I was starting to learn more outside Scientology. So I, I tend to be um, pretty forgiving. You know, if people think they can stay in and fix it, it's like... Give it a try. See how Great far that will take you. But don't be a – yeah, and then don't be afraid to take the next step to do – after all, Scientologists are the most able and ethical people <laughs> on the planet. So Absolutely. they should have no problem. Absolutely. So in a way, I would suggest that you have a little bit of an advantage to a lot of people under the radar in the, in the fact that you were already up against the wall. So you took that – that step of what do I have to lose? So, yeah, I mean, you could call that an advantage or you could call it a disadvantage, but I had, I was slowly setting myself up for, for that. I mean, I knew I wanted that. I mean, I honestly started going to counseling in secret for almost a year, literally sitting on this guy's, you know, in this guy's office, wonderful counselor that I found and just questioning why do I even want to say anything? You know, it was so instilled in me that, that there was something wrong with me that I even would want to say something bad about Scientology but, but publicly. Like Your family couldn't know you were uh, seeing a counselor. Of course not. Yeah, right. I mean, if my immediate family, you know, did, but not the Scientology one. Gotcha. Um, but I found, because my whole life, I like, I, I was, it's all, there's an expression, um, good roads, fair weather. You just acknowledge the positive so all these other you know non-scientology family my dad's side of the family my father was the only scientologist and um it's so funny because they never talked bad about scientology to me because they knew that for one it wouldn't do anything and it would be upsetting and maybe i wouldn't be allowed to see them anymore especially as a child but now that i was able to be honest and and, and talk to them our relationships are better Okay. So That's there's good. something there's something about yeah there's something about not saying what you really mean that keeps you distant from from other people who who want to support you and help you. Well, it's not real. It's 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 not it's not tangible. It's 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 made up. It's fake. Yeah, and so many relationships I, for me anyway within Scientology, especially while I was under the radar, were like that, and it's like. Why am I even calling this person a friend when I have to, you know, smile and nod that they just sent their child's uh, college fund on their bridge or when I want to scream at them and be like, why would you do that? 
<laughs> and I think that's what a real friend would do. Maybe not Absolutely. scream, but a real friend would say, hey, Take you know, are you sure you want to do this? When someone says so, that, are they saying it in a positive way? Like, oh, well, you know, I figure it's going to pay off in the end. Yeah, that's hard. You know, you don't want to be like a Debbie Downer. Um, but is, I saw is that how they say so it? much. What? I'm sorry. Is that how they're saying it? That was kind of a question. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't. I don't know how other people are saying it, but I mean, I was really raised to um, to believe that. Yeah, you would get more more able. So you know, if you only have ten thousand dollars now you don't hold on to that. You don't hoard it for a rainy day. You spend it and you expect to get back triple. But that doesn't really always happen. Or, or ever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, so what were the positive things? What did you gain? What, what were you able to do because of your appearance on the aftermath? How did you recover from facing impending homelessness? Okay, this is a crazy story. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Okay, so I don't know if you remember, but when we left the ranch, uh, basically everything had fallen apart. Um, I didn't have a job. We didn't really have a home. We couldn't really afford much. Um, we didn't really have a rental history. I mean, we were basically... And these are not to the fault of Scientology, you know. <laughs> Had I been in a better state of mind, perhaps I could have prepared better. Um, but we were living in a trailer on a property, sort of just allowed to be there until we sort of figured things out. And at one point, I was feeling pretty bad about my situation, and I actually started a fundraiser um, to try and help – it was sort of a lofty goal, but get enough money together to kind of get us into a place because, um, you know, all of my goals and the kids' dad's goals are, were pretty much farming and agriculture related, which is impossible to do without, you know, space. Um, so I put up this fundraiser and I ended up getting about $5,000, uh, which was worth so – that was sort of the start. It, it wasn't just the money. It was just this crazy experience that there were people who were willing to help me, to help, yeah. that, like, blew my mind, you know? Strangers. Um, I, was, I was so sure I would fail. I was so sure that everything I had heard – you know, if you leave Scientology, you know, you're a bad person. Everything's going to go to crap. You're never going to recover. And I felt that way. I felt – and losing our property has been, um, I don't know how other to explain it other than it's almost like grieving the loss of a family member. It's been, um, I expect I'll always miss it. And even I have good days and bad days. Right. Um, but to lose that and everything and uh, my relationship with my partner was very strained. Um, I was very strained. Everything was a sort of was, was rough. Um, and I put up that fundraiser, and I started thinking, you know, and, and people helped me along the way. Uh, the one thing that is amazing about speaking out is that you are no longer in the shadows. And Scientology, by nature, is such a paranoid thing um, in the sense that exes, people who are out, they're not going to 
I mean, it's hard to trust somebody who's like, oh, I'm under the radar, I'm out. You never know if they're a spy, if they're going to rat you out or they're going to go back or whatever. So it's a little dangerous. But yet, if you're under the radar, you don't have real relationships with Scientologists. So what I found was when I came out finally and was like, bam, you know, this is my stance, uh, people were very supportive. Uh, Claire Headley offered me a job, which I um, took. I couldn't, I couldn't keep right. it together. <laughs> um, and so I didn't work for her very long. But uh, oh. just those simple, like, um, little Sisters. olive branches just kind of helped me renew faith. But the craziest thing that happened is I had a um, Marie, uh, you interviewed her, uh, Billheimer. She um, oh, yeah. she messaged me one day and said, my boss saw your um, episode and your fundraiser, and he wants to talk to you. He's helped a few people. Um, will you talk to him? I said, of course. And I talked to him, and he's an ex-Scientologist, and he um, – basically was like, what do we need to do to get you into a house? And he, no, no crap, basically was like, okay, we can do this. He learned a lot about our agriculture plans and um, kind of worked with us to make sure that we, uh, it would work for everybody. He ended up purchasing this property as an investment property that we are paying a lease to own on. Um, and all that direct, like literally directly came from speaking out. And not that, you know, it's, it's a weird thing because it was, it was it's weird. not every day just somebody call you and say, hey, you, you know, you want to buy a house? It was like, right. who is this guy? I got really scared. I thought, um, <clears throat> I, mean, I don't think Osa really gives a crap about what I say or do. Um, but I definitely wondered, like, because if you wanted to break me at that point, you would buy me a house and then take it away. And I probably would never recover at that point. <laughs> so, Don't give him any ideas yeah. now. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm much, I don't know, things are, things are different. But, um, and he also offered me some sort of mentorship because there's, there's some aspects of Scientology philosophy, you know, that were plagiarized, like that kind of are almost like law of attraction, uh, the positive, you know, the power of intention, you know, they, in Scientology they'll call it tone 40 or postulates. And um, it really managed to turn my energy around. And I really just be, tried to practice gratitude. And I felt like more and more things were happening, the more honest I was being. And it hooked me up with a whole set of people. I now have a network of people who were raised like me that I can call and they can call me, you know, at any point. And you don't have to explain a bunch of stuff. You don't have to word clear somebody. You can just say what's going on. You can talk about things. Um, you couldn't even do that, right? You couldn't even just talk because it will lead to like a, 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 a knowledge report, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and if you're trying to explain to somebody, your, you know, a problem you're having or, or like just a little thing, like I miss my mom today, right? Like I woke up and it's, it's my mom's birthday and I'm super sad. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, it's not today. It actually just happened, but that happened. But the fact that I had a network of people that I could 
just say that to, and I didn't have to say the whole thing. Oh, I was raised in Scientology, and you know, now we're just connected. And blah 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 blah. It's so valuable to have that network of people who already understand. So that combined with just a few people having faith in me, I just didn't. I don't know. I was just ready to to try and make something better for myself and my kids and. Um, and I find it gets better every every day because I, I now get calls from under the radars or I get um, – and I hear them sounding just like I sounded 10 years ago. And it's – I can honestly tell them it will get better. And I couldn't say that before. And the fact that I can now and be like really mean that is like worth more to anything, That's awesome. more than anything to me. That's awesome. And you don't have to be – a guest on Scientology in the aftermath for it to get better. Um, no, and see, that is a beautiful thing. Like, now, not because of me, but because of all the people and the aftermath crew and Leah and um, the people who came before, uh, all you have to really do is step out from under the radar. And that is almost the hardest thing. But once you do that, there is this connection and this group of people that like want to help you and not necessarily maybe not financially or you know whatever whatever it is we all have different needs at different times but um I felt so alone so alone when I was under the radar because I felt like a fraud I felt like I was two people living two different lives and now that I have been brave enough to just live who I am now, um, and say, you know, say what I've said and do what I've done. Um, I think people see me as more genuine. And so my relationships are more genuine with people. It's, I don't know how to explain it. It's, it's a, it's a really good, good place to be. I'll, I'll tell you, I've, uh, I, I think I befriended you on Facebook though, right there for the show you did. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. uh, I never knew you real well, but everything I saw looked genuine to me. So, well, that's what I've been. That's what I've been really, you know, trying to focus on. There's like for the past, you know, year or so. There's a. I had a major identity crisis. A major identity crisis after that. Um, not only did I feel like I'd sort of ratted out my mom. I. I, I felt like I. Uh, I don't know. And then the ranch, so much of my life was involved with the ranch. I had like a little hobby blog that was all about living out there and being out there. And like I said, my relationship was seeming like it was going to fall apart. And I was just like, who, who am I? If I'm not a Scientologist, if I'm not a farmer, if I'm not, you know, who, who am I? And I don't, I didn't really know. I still am, don't, I'm still figuring out like we all are. But the one thing I wanted to be was genuine and stop saying things I didn't mean, holding my tongue for the protection of, you know, a cult. And, and that said, there was actually a lot that I didn't tell the aftermath. <laughs> there, there was a lot more nasty crap that happened that um, I wasn't willing to share. And maybe I will be one day, but, uh, but that was a genuine choice. You know, I was able to make that choice not out of fear, but out of my own heart. 
I, so. I think just speaking out at all is the is the kind of bold move that defines your character already to an extent. Um, and I think we all kind of anyone who interacted with you kind of knows who you are. Well, well, I ho- I hope so, and and that's the thing that I hope to help others. I mean, I'm I'd love to have more than just emotional support to offer at this point, but I'm still rebuilding. Um, and I'm so glad. What? You got your own life to put together, you know. I do, I do, and, and I'm doing it, but I'm doing it with this goal also that like to ultimately help others as much as I can one day because. I mean, people came People came out of the woodwork for me, and I don't feel like it's me, like I was some, you know, special case. It's just that I I went out and thought, I thought it. You know, I, I um, there's a woman who worked for my parents who left the church, um, who I asked Mike to see if anybody knew um, my parents. I was really trying to piece together a little bit more of my family history by, um, communicating with people who knew my family who were out now. Um, and it, it, you know, one person who knew my, my parents was just there for me. She just, every time I messaged her on Facebook, if I was freaking out pretty soon, I got a response and it was always just, um, amazing to just have somebody to, to listen and to be there that you don't have to explain everything to. And I try and be that for other people. And I think that that is one of the most valuable things that you can possibly get from speaking out is a tribe. You know, you lose so much when you leave Scientology because it's like you lose all these people. Um, You can lose your job. You can lose your home. You know, you lose. It feels like you're losing. And then it's hard to know what you'll gain because you've never been in that situation. But people who speak out and who – I think are brave enough to to be genuine, uh, and it's not just genuine with the oh everybody in Scientology was terrible or these are the bad things that happened to me, but genuine with your process of trying to rebuild your life, genuine with your process of struggle. Um, I think there's a lot of people who have, who who want to help. That's almost our way of healing. Um, so I don't know. I guess I would just hope that. People know that, that if you do choose at some point to get out from under the radar, um, there's a tribe. There's a tribe of people waiting for you on the other side that you may not know about. There's a huge, huge support system. Uh, and it's interesting. You said something before that really caught my attention, and that was that you put yourself out there to to receive help, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, which no is against gonna, everybody's nature as a Scientologist. Yeah, no one's going to grab you by the hand and drag you to freedom. You, you need to give no. yourself an opportunity. Right. And so, and that's, it's, it's hard. I mean, there may be people who, you know, will help, will help you kind of be a sounding board for you or, you know, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, at the end of the day, um, I, I can only really compare it to like ripping that bandaid off. No one's you do that then you can start to heal if it's all festering and wounds and and you stay in that and you pretend it's not happening and which is what I did I mean I was really hurting from the things that had happened in my life you know the suicide of my brother and 
um, <clears throat> the way I was raised and shuffled around, I was really hurting for so long. And I was never really able to admit it. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And it's because if I admitted I wasn't fine, that means I had to admit that how I was raised wasn't fine. And that means Scientology wasn't fine. And that means L. Ron Hubbard wasn't fine. Wow. And that means nothing is fine. You know, it's, it's, it's hard. Um, but there's no better time. I wish, <laughs> I wish so often that my brother had stuck around because, in my opinion, now is the best time to speak out. The church does not have the resources to shush us all. We all have cell phones, and with, we could go live if we get harassed at any point. Um, <clears throat> I even almost wanted to be harassed. I was like, yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll film it and sell it to the National Enquirer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a little um, bit of that thought process, I think, for a lot of people. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, you know, I, it's just you can turn it into the worst thing or the best thing in your mind. It's really all about your perception, but it's like you stand on that diving board for long enough, and you're not in the water, you're not on the land, you're you're all by yourself, and you're just sort of standing there, like. You, you, you can't. Jump. I couldn't live that way for much longer. You gotta jump. You, you gotta jump, you... and we're so lucky because we're not jumping into what you know. Paulette Cooper <laughs> jumped into. Nobody believed her that she was being harassed. Right now, you can just be like, "Hey, sorry, Scientology is harassing me," and me everybody's like, "Oh yeah, they they do that." <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. Do you think the but Aftermath now, Foundation will play a big role in helping people make that make that leap? I do. Um, I think that the Aftermath Foundation has the ability to provide a stable sort of net, particularly for people who are leaving the Sea Org. Um, because, I mean, that... Like, like the littlest olive branch, depending on what somebody needs at that time, you know, a place to stay for a couple months or a few hundred dollars to feed them and their kid, you know, I mean, that can literally save somebody's life. There's a lot of, uh, a lot, a lot of people, okay, I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth or generalize, but from my experience, thoughts of suicide are predominant in people who are leaving Scientology um, or being harassed by Scientologists or the OSA. Um, maybe I have a particular soft spot because of my brother. Uh, you'd be, it'd be, you're, it amazes me how much a little help can not just restore a person's you know, food, but like their heart and feel like things might be okay. So if the aftermath can provide that, on case-by-case basis to people, then, yeah, it uh, could make a huge difference. And in reality, if enough people leave the Sea Org, they're not going to be able to function. So that could be a really good thing. The church won't be able to function, excuse me, just to be clear. Right. The, um, the, the moral story is you were facing terrible uncertainty. You were dealing with a identity crisis because of everything, just everything happening at once. And who knew where you were going to be the next day, but you found, 
by coming forward, by allowing yourself to receive the help, that help was there. And now, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, to a great extent, I think makes you so full of joy now, is you're self-sufficient. Yeah, I mean, for, for the most part, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, for the most part, I am. And, um, you know, I still go to counseling. I still, uh, like I said, you know, it was my mom's birthday a little bit ago. I, I still need help. I, I'm, I still need help. I still need support. Um, but I'm self-sufficient enough in the sense that I know I need that. And therefore, I can get that for myself. And I would have never been able to do that if I was still under the radar because I was really, it's like crippling. It's so crippling. Um, You're talking so, from yeah. kind of like a psychology standpoint, psychologically. Yes, psychologically. Um, you know, my counselor kind of explained it or soundboarded it back to me that, you know, I was feeling fractured as a, as a person because I had this cognitive dissonance within me where I felt like I had to do a certain thing, but I knew it was wrong, but I couldn't do something else. And it was, it's, you know, Lawrence Wright got it so right when he said it's a prison of belief. Um, but you need help. We are human beings. And this is a freaking crazy religion with a, or if you want to call it that cult group business with a huge amount of, power over thought and uh, particularly for people my age you know in their 30s or even younger their 20s who are now second and third generation Scientologists coming out of that um, it's terrifying because you're told and you pro you know you believe that the outside world is so bad and scary and you'll fail and that's what I was going on but after speaking out and asking for help these little I don't want to call them little. In the big picture, they're little, but for me, they're a big, a big deal. The fact that Claire Headley, um, <laughs> call out Claire Headley today, I guess. Um, <laughs> she she didn't even know me, and I said, I don't know how I'm going to feed my kid this month, you know. And even just thinking about it now, like that feeling, that fear. And she said, well, can you, you know, can you do this? And I said, yes. She said, well, we'll try it out. And uh, she saved my hide because even though I didn't last with her because I, my mind was pretty fried at that point and I needed to learn a lot and I just couldn't at that point. Um, so even though it was this little blink in my, in my history, the fact that she was willing to do that yeah. changed my perception a little bit and then a little bit more and a little bit more and the fact that somebody believed in me enough to help me find a place to live somebody believed in me to answer my call and listen to me cry enough you know not like oh you're lame you're stupid you're pts you need to go on course you need to write up your ow's just listen just say oh maybe it'll be okay literally changed my perception of the entire world i i think it's so. awesome it's awesome that you're where you're at i am so happy for you do you have, like, Thank huge you. goals of where you want to go from here? Do you want to one day own another ranch, try to buy that ranch back? Do you have lofty goals like that? Or are you just taking it one day at a time? Um, I'm I'm still in a, in a shorter. I'm not sure if I'm in one day at a time. I think I might be, like, 
a month at a time, perhaps a season at a time. Um, (laughs) uh, I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. I know that um, I'm writing a novel. Uh, It is a fictional book, but it's definitely about a family and a cult. And I found that that's um, an important goal for me to just know that I can – writing a novel is so hard. I just want to – I just want to know I can do it and finish it, you know, and like figure it out. Um, But at the end of the day, uh, and I, I don't want to speak for other people, but I'm kind of assuming here, I heal by also helping other people. So even though at this point all I can really offer is emotional support and an ear to other second generation or third generation Scientologists who just kind of, um, they trust me now because I spoke out. You know, I'm a safe person. Um, and that's really what it is. Once you speak out, you're, you become safe in a certain way that um, allows you it's – like it's like a golden ticket into a new life. If you try and remain under the radar, you just don't get the benefits of being out. Isn't it like the most amazing feeling to know that you're able to do that? It is. It is the most amazing feeling, and it's so funny because every time you complete a service in Scientology, you know, you, like, go to the examiner, and you have to have a floating needle, and they ask you, I forget the wording, but, like, would you like others to receive the gains that you have received? And, of course, you have to say yes, because if you say no, you'll get get cramped. But um, in this case, yes, I so very want other people to experience this because you're going to crash, most likely, you know, if you lose your parents, it hurts. If you lose your job or friends, it's a, it can cause problems in your life for sure. And you'd have to expect that. But it's, but there's another hill to go up after. Um, you know, there's, 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 there's what light at the end of the tunnel. All those cliche things to say that probably sound like I'm full of crap, but I'm dead serious that once you take that leap all these doors open in the fact that you have a tribe and you have people who understand what you've been through. Um, I don't mean to lessen any veterans or anything like that, but I say it's almost like we're like war buddies. Like we went through a trauma that was, even if we weren't in the same place at the same time, we had enough similarities in our traumas, particularly as second generation Scientologists or third generation Scientologists that it's so healing to be with each other and to, to, to have that. And we have some events and we have some groups. And um, I never thought I'd find that. I never, ever occurred to me that I could find that in my life. And that's probably helped me more than, you know, counselors. That's awesome. That's amazing. I'm glad you have that. Was there anything we didn't cover that you might have wanted to cover? I think the only thing I would like to just say is that um, I don't think that I'm like some special case of uh, ex-scientologist, you know. Um, I think that it's all about asking for help and being trying to be as genuine as possible. And um, so, yeah, I guess you don't have to go on TV. You don't have to to really do much of anything, but if you can take that stand in some way that makes you like really take a stand 
um, it doesn't have to be like I want to show, you know, you can just do it and a whole world opens up. So I would just hope that for people who are considering, should I talk out? Now's the time. More than ever. Mm-hmm. More than ever. And everybody else got harassed and so many lives are ruined in the past that in some ways I feel like we're obligated to speak out. Great message. Great message. Absolutely. Uh, Liz, what I do on every show is I do something called 10 questions. Would you be willing to participate? Okay. So it's 10 questions. Just answer honestly what comes to the mind. Some of them are silly. Some of them may be more serious. But if you don't like a question, you can pass. Okay. All right. So here's question number one. 10 questions of Elizabeth Gale. Number one. You're in a happy place right now, probably the happiest you've been in a while. What makes you happiest of all? Um, I don't know. I'm going to go with my family, my kids, knowing that. Almost always the answer, and it's a great answer. Go ahead, finish your thought. I was just going to say knowing that I'm – no mother is perfect, and I would never say that, but I, I'm doing everything I can to really give my kids uh, help them foster a good sense of who they are and their own spiritual beliefs on their own accord and um, that makes me really happy. I feel like generally, maybe not in every case, but I feel like generally people who were raised in that atmosphere end up becoming great parents if they leave you know, and raise their kids outside. I, I, I appreciate that. I've, I've seen that in others as well. I think we're just hype, almost hyper-conscious about it. It's <laughs> a good thing. All right. Number two, true or false, candy is overrated. Candy? Like yeah. sugar candy? Yep. True. True. Absolutely true. Number three, do you prefer to eat out or eat a home-cooked meal? Mm. Do I have to cook it? <laughs> it's usually a factor, isn't it? <laughs> Um, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, probably, I'm gonna say eat out. Okay. Though, whatever. <laughs> Number four. Finish the sentence. Scientology in the aftermath is changing lives. It is. Number five. Your glass is it half full, half empty? Or you're just happy to have a glass? Oh, ask me every half an hour, and I honestly may have a different answer. But um, I'm working on consistently feeling happy to have a glass. Oh, that's good. I like that answer. Okay, number six. What's the most essential thing that you have in your life now that you wouldn't be able to have in your life when you were in Scientology? The ability to say what I mean, I guess. Yeah, we kind of we kind of covered it too in the in the discussion. Um, number seven, true or false? Gnomes are creepy little bastards. False. You like gnomes? Well, I mean, I don't know that I like them, but I don't know why they get a rep of being creepy little bastards. <laughs> 
<laughs> Some people find it. Uh, Tell me, number... you're gonna have to after this. You're gonna have to give me one example of a gnome being a creepy bastard. <laughs> you gotta watch horror movies. <laughs> number eight. What's your preferred music? My preferred music. Um, dance, female singer dance music. Okay, I'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> Number nine. Um, finish this sentence. Therapy slash and or counseling is not what I thought it was. In a good way. In a very good way, yes. It's good. not what I thought I was told. I guess it's not what it's, whatever. I think you understand what I was meaning. I absolutely, I think the audience <laughs> does too. Um, okay. Last but not least, number 10. In your path to speaking out and breaking away from Scientology completely, what was the best advice that you ever received there may be others that could benefit from it so what's the best advice you've received until today um the best advice was probably somewhere along the lines of it was if this is your life and it's your story and that means that you can tell your story or share your story and that's your right it's not a luxury, and it's not something anybody can take away from you. It's your life. It's your experience. It's your story. And it's up to you to choose, but if you choose to share that, then all the haters can F off. <laughs> okay, right. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Liz, thank you so much for doing this. Um, if we covered everything, um, thank you for coming on, and I really wish you the best moving forward. I, I see good things for you. Thank you. Um, I appreciate that very much. Thank you. Okay, so it was a real joy speaking with Elizabeth Gale. Uh, couldn't be happier. Couldn't be uh, good things happening for, for a nicer person, except except there's a lot of nice people I like to see that happen for, and I know there's others who are doing better nowadays and working towards that better life uh, for speaking out and getting away from uh, from the uh, the prison of the mind thing. And, you know, it's not the prison of the mind anymore when you're under the radar, is it? It's like you're, you're just consciously making the effort not to rock the boat and you're, you're not living. So follow this lead of Miss, uh, Miss Elizabeth Gale and uh, uh, make your choices wisely. If you can make a plan a little bit, make one if you can't. Guess who's out there for you? The AftermathFoundation.org. Not AftermathFoundation.org. That's something different, but the AftermathFoundation.org. I've linked it in the uh, description. Let's uh, let's get some people some happier, uh, more fulfilling lives out of this. In the meantime, thanks again, Elizabeth, for uh, coming on the show. And uh, next week, not sure what's going to happen. I'll update you during the week. In the meantime, uh, until then, stay connected. That about sums it up. If I speak for your followers and I speak for your ex-followers and I speak for the curious outsiders looking in, and you remain silent in the shadows and don't let your balls drop enough to come out and say something, then I say, who do you speak for, Mr. Miscavige? Anything on earth that says 
don't listen to your mum and dad. Don't talk to your mum and dad. That's bad. Yeah. Wrong. I remember sitting there wishing I could just scream out loud and beg for help. But I knew if I did that, I would never see Mark again. This is the thing about real life. You can't experience the great things without the bad things. I felt like it would probably do better off if we didn't exist. And, um, you know, Pat came up with a plan on, on how to end it. He talked about a seven-year-old child. Mm-hmm. Even, if, even if he's referring to actually an adult. So let's say we change that to an adult. You say the woman shudders because the man kids her even passionately. The fact is that he shudders. You do a big apology to me and give me my kids back. I'm still shocked by the evil. I, I, yes, even to this day, when I see a video of a former friend or family member, I'm like, this is pure evil at work.